Okay, we are in Second Peter. I'm sorry, First Peter chapter two. First Peter, still in First Peter, but in the second chapter. First Peter chapter two. <clears throat> and we're going to start reading again from verse <clears throat> verse uh, nine. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. We'll start reading. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may become, they, they, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay. <clears throat> so we'll stop right there. You know, in, in, in uh, verse 9, which we covered last time, he really starts lifting up these people and, and just encouraging them. And remember, he's speaking here, to the remnant. He's speaking here to Jews who are in the dispersion. They're in Asia Minor. And so Peter is writing to them and uh, uh, he's speaking to them and he's, he's telling them, uh, uh, he, he's encouraging them, but these are Jews. These are the remnant. So the, the vast majority of the Jewish people had not followed Jesus. The vast majority of the Israelites prior to Jesus' coming, were not following, but there was always a remnant. There was always a group that was following, <clears throat> and there was always a remnant. And then after he's come, and he's died, and he's risen from the dead, there remains a remnant, and there remains a remnant to this day among the Jews, and many times they're called <clears throat> Messianic Jews. They call themselves <clears throat> believers, is what they would call themselves, And they're the ones who've taken hold of the way that God has spoken and the things that he has encouraged us to do. And this is the group that he's speaking with. However, what we can do is we can learn a lot from the things that he's instructing them. And he tells them in verse 9, he says, you are a chosen race. And so he knows, excuse me, he is speaking to a race of people here. This can't be the church at large, actually, because the church at large is not a race. It's made up of many races. He says, you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And again, the church is not a nation. It's, it, it, in fact, in Romans, it says you're, you, you are a non-nation. You're a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which we spoke a lot about last time. Now, verse 10. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God, and you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. So he's quoting from Hosea. This is one of the minor prophets near the end of the Old Testament in Hosea. Uh, so, so right after Daniel, he's, he, you have Hosea, and he's speaking to them in Hosea chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. He says, And she had weaned lo Ruhamah. She conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, 
And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. So they had developed into such a rebellious state that God said of Israel, for that particular generation, He said, You're not my people. And then He says, But there's going to come a day when you're going to be my people. There's going to come a day when you're going to be called sons of the living God. And so he's making reference to this day that that Peter is saying is upon you. You're now sons of the living God. So this is what he's saying, that there was a time when Israel became so rebellious, he said, for this particular generation, you're not my people. But God knew in his wisdom that there was, and in his foreknowledge, that there would be a recovery here. So then he says, he, he says, uh, you've not received, you had not received mercy, but you have received mercy. So it's almost like now we're about to hit a non sequitur, because he goes through all this encouragement. He says, he just said to them, you are, you are a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're people for God's own possession. Uh, you were not a people, but now you it, and 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 uh, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And then all of a sudden, he builds them up, and then he gives them a warning in verse eleven. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and as strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Now they are aliens in this land in this Asia Minor. And, and they are strangers there. <clears throat> now, if you go anywhere in the world and you look, you look at the Jewish community, the Orthodox Jewish community, anywhere in the world, those who are uh, Orthodox, very often you will see them be an entity unto themselves. They'll have their little communities, and you see that. You can go to New York City, you can see, for example, the Hasidic Jewish community, and, and they dress in this this dress, which is not, <clears throat> which is not from the first century, they dress in this dress, which is from, I think it's 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 the uh, 18th or 19th century Polish garb, which is all black suits, black hats, and you may have seen men like that. And the women are, are dressed in, in dark, and, and the shawls, and the uh, they'll often have their heads covered in public. <clears throat> they are often an entity to themselves, and they have their little community, the Jewish community. But this community was a little bit different because this community was a Jewish community in a Gentile area, and that's what he's going to talk about in verse 12. He talks about the Gentiles that are around them. He says, you're a Jewish community, but you're not just part of the local Jewish community. You're even an outcast from the Jewish community itself. So the believers among Jewish people, those who are the remnant, have always been sort of an outcast group among Jews at large. So even if you go to Israel today, you'll see there is this remnant, there are the Messianic Jews, but they are not often welcome by the Orthodox Jewish community. Now the secular Jews often don't care one way or the other, but the Orthodox Jewish community often often looks at them with, with disdain. So that's the group of people you have here. They're rejected not just by the Gentiles that are around them, they're rejected also by the Jewish community at large. What he does is he gives them a warning. He says, I urge you 
as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. So he's talking about the, these, these fleshly lusts. And he says, he says, as strangers and aliens. That could mean that you're a group up in Asia Minor that's away and, and, and uh, uh, you're really quite different than the communities around you. Or he might mean that you're strangers and aliens in the sense that you're believers on this earth. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All these, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promise, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So he says that they were seeking a country of their own. And so often as believers, you're going to be separate from the communities around you. I saw it with my children. We raised our children a different way. They said, why can't we go to these sleepover parties like other kids go to? I said, because that's just not something we do. We just didn't, you know, if we, if we were not very familiar with a family, like related to them, our kids didn't do sleepovers at other people's homes. And that may mean, oh, you're so hard. Well, we just don't know what's going on in other people's homes at night. I just don't know. So we were more protective of our children. Many times they would say, oh, these kids are doing it. And I said, well, we're different. <clears throat> we do things a little bit differently. And you'll see that, that very often as believers in Christ, we do things differently. We are held to a higher standard. We are held to different things. And, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll just alert you. If you're a parent of a young child, be very careful... <clears throat> whose homes you let your child stay in that, that's not well attended. Uh, uh, because because uh, there's a lot of people that have been very hurt by this sort of thing. So you just have to be careful about this sort of thing. Now, there's, you, you, when you know family, family you know. You've been around them for decades. Just, just be cognizant of that because there's a lot, of, a lot of families and a lot of children have been hurt. But he says here, he says, I urge you, I urge you to, to abstain from fleshly lusts, <clears throat> which wage war against the soul. So he's not saying you're going to lose your salvation, but they wage war against your soul. Fleshly lusts can wage war against our soul. Now, this is no small issue. If I think about in my life, what are the struggles that I had most against sin? It was a fleshly battle against sin. And uh, I grew up from the age of 14 till the age of 18 on a steady diet of pornography. And uh, the Lord graciously broke me of that when I got saved when I was 18 years old. That is unusual. Most people who come to faith after being addicted to pornography continue to struggle with it for many, many years. Um, the Lord use that 
to show me my sin, and he used the breaking of it to show me his power. I was dramatically saved on November 7, 1977, and that changed in my life. What didn't change was the battle in the mind. All those pictures that I had seen, even as a 14-year-old, I remember to this day. So they haven't gone away in my mind. I'm not drawn to the page anymore. If something pops up from the internet or something, I'm, I'm very quick to delete it. That's not an easy thing for many men. But the struggle in the mind never went away. I got more and more victory over it as time went on, but it was a constant struggle. And you think, well, when he got married, that was all taken care of. I wish that had been the case. I really do. But I'm speaking honestly to you. There is a series on my website, so if you were to go to jmtour.com and go to the Personal Topics tab and look up the audio files, and under audio files, there's a, there's a series called Scriptural Sexual Ethics. <clears throat> it's a six-part series. I understand that young people are non-linear learners, but this, you do it part one, and then you go to part two, and then you go to part three. You go in order, or else it doesn't make sense. And each part is only like 30 or 40 minutes, and it's all audio, and so you just <clears throat> put the little buds in your ears and listen. I think this would be a help <clears throat> for many young people. It would be a help for, for married couples that struggle because very often <clears throat> the marital bedroom can be hell on earth. And you think, what are you talking about? Every married person here knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't get these things right, it can be extremely painful emotionally in a marriage. It is the thing which wars against our soul. Just out of the blue, the, the, Peter is, is just lifting up these young people, the, 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 these, these believers. And then he says, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. <clears throat> Where are you coming from, Peter? Because Peter knows... What wages war against our souls? It is so often fleshly lusts. That's what wages war against our souls. And the reason that I refer you to that series is that there's a lot of things that I talk about in that series that I don't feel particularly comfortable talking about here. I could do it, you know, but I'd, I'd, I'd arrange a night that we're going to talk about scriptural sexual ethics, and then people have come to hear that sort of thing. It's not something I would give in a normal church setting unless I were asked to speak specifically on that topic, and those people came knowing that I was going to speak on that topic. Even in that series, which, which is, was, has been posted Almost 20 years. So it was about 20 years ago that I did that. So it was a long time ago. But when I did it, even Shireen said to me, I, I don't understand how you can speak like this, how you can be so revealing of your own struggles. And I said, it's not because I, I'm comfortable in revealing my own struggles. I mean, who likes to share their dirty laundry? 
But it's because so many young men over the years have gotten to me, gotten back to me and said, when you shared that, I listened to that, it gave me hope. That there was hope for me, that I wasn't the only one struggling like this. So many young marriages where particularly the wives have reached out to me and said, your lesson on scriptural sexual ethics helped us so much as a married couple. That's why I was willing to reveal so much of my own struggles. I don't reveal anything about my wife. I reveal my own struggles. And I did that because it gives hope to young people. It gives hope to young couples as they hear this and they see, wow, you went through this too? I thought I was the only one. And look what God has done with your life. That's absolutely the way I feel. I feel like Hannah when she prayed, you have taken me from the ash heap and you have made me to sit with nobles. That's what God has done in my life. This is the area upon which most young people struggle more than any other thing. <clears throat> it's not money. With young people, the struggle is not money. That comes with older people. They don't have anything. Most young people don't have anything. They don't have money to be struggled with. You're not, they're not <clears throat> like old people thinking about where can I invest my money that's going to be secure these days? <clears throat> that's what old people worry about. Where can I invest my money so it's secure? And, and how am I going to divide this among my heirs so they don't fight and it doesn't ruin their lives? Because if you leave a, lot, if you leave a trust fund to your kids, they often don't work very hard. And that's why when my kids were growing up, I was very clear with them how much they were going to get. And the rest was going into a fund just for charity because I didn't want them to become a trust fund kid. I wanted them to work for this. And you say, okay, well now they're all grown up, now you can leave lots to them. Well, number one, I don't have lots to leave to them. But even if I did, it wouldn't mess them up, but it would mess up their children. So you have to be careful. See, old people worry about that. You guys have never even thought about this. <clears throat> it's not an issue, and I get it. It's not an issue to you. What's an issue? is what's happening in the fleshly indulgence in the sexual realm. I'm not saying all of you. I'm just saying most of you. This is where the struggle is. And Peter calls it right out. He says, this wages war against your soul, and it does. You'd be reading the Bible, and your mind is, you know, 40% of your CPU is some other place. <clears throat> And there's these warnings for us that he has for us. So let's, let's look at Proverbs chapter 7. <clears throat> it's a very clear portion, Proverbs chapter 7. And uh, um, let's start reading at verse 1. <clears throat> my son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend. So he starts out, he says, just grab hold of the wisdom I'm about to teach you. 
This is really important. This is what he's saying. The Lord has put a couple of chapters in Proverbs just really to protect us, that, that make us aware that we are not unique. This is not a unique generation at all. If you think other generations didn't struggle with this, oh yes, they did. Just as much as this generation. Verse 5, that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. What I'm sharing with you is to keep you from the adulteress, he says, and from a foreigner who flatters with her words. I'll tell you, young men, you know what I'm talking about. If a young woman compliments you, you're like, hey, she thinks I'm all right. I mean, she's a perceptive young lady. Yeah. You know, a young woman could mean absolutely nothing by this. But one little word, and, and this guy will be thinking about you for the next three weeks just because of one little word you've said to him. And, uh, you know, if, if a young lady says to a guy, wow, you're strong, I mean, he, he'll be thinking about this for the rest of his life. <clears throat> it was just a passing word to you. Or if she says, you're funny, he's going to be trying to tell you jokes for like, <laughs> forever. <clears throat> he says, be careful of that. Verse 6. For at the window of my house I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the naive, and I discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense. So he says, let me tell you about a young man who lacks sense. All right, so we're, we're reading something here that was written 3,000 years ago. People haven't changed much. He says, let me, he says I, I, I was just looking out my window, and I, I could see a young man la- lacking sense. I see this all the time. Look, where you are, I have been. And I work, I have been on a college campus since I was 18. And I've never left. I've never really had a real job. I've always been in this little enclave on college campuses. So I see this all the time. And he says, I looked out through my window and I saw, I saw among the naive and I discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. Verse 8, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house. That's the first problem. He went by her house. He went near the corner where she hangs out. I tell you, young men can be really devious. You know, one day, even after I was a Christian, I was, I was thinking, well, you know, maybe I, I, I was always on the lookout. You know, who would be the woman that God would have for me? I was always on the lookout. And, and uh, um, just praying, always on the lookout. And, and, uh, and then I was thinking, well, maybe it's that girl. Yeah, that girl. And so I would go, I was on one side of campus, and my, you could eat in any dormitory you wanted to, and I was on one side. I went all the way over to her side of campus and ate in her dormitory thinking, well, if it's of the Lord, I'll see her. Well, come on, I set the thing up. I went to where she eats. <clears throat> but that's, that's how our hearts are. You know, and, and, uh, and lo and behold, she is walking by and she stops. Wow, this must be of the Lord. 
This is exactly what this guy is doing. <clears throat> and and uh, um, you, you, well, you know, I've, I've even done more extreme things than that. You know, just anyway, I was among the naive young man lacking sense. And it says, it says, uh, um, verse nine: in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. Here's another problem. He's going out into places he shouldn't go. In verse 10, And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and she lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Wow, she's a Christian. You know, she, 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 makes, she, she makes her offerings. She's paid her vows. Wow, this, this young man, uh, you know, I, I think he's a Christian. You know, isn't everybody in this country a Christian? I mean, we're all Christians, right? We can convince ourselves of all sorts of things. When our flesh starts getting a hold of us. Because we want so much to be able to exercise in these areas. And, and uh, um, Peter warns us, he says, be careful because they can, they can wage war against your soul. They can just really just take you out, just wage war against your soul. And uh, um, he says... So she comes to him and she kisses him. And with brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. Wow. If a young woman says that to a young man, wow, I am, I am so glad to see you. I mean, I'm just telling you, this guy's... His heart is, is, just, is just broken, just melted. You, you could just take him and you could, you, just, you could just hit him and he'd fall right over. I mean, he's, he's, just, he's just, you know, on his feet. He's just dizzy. For a young woman to say this to a young man, you've got to be careful what you say to young men because uh, you might mean a little thing and they take it as a big, big thing. You start praising a young man and he's going to be like... Things are pretty good. Look, if she really knew you, she wouldn't be saying that. You know that, right? You know that. And then she, she goes on. I've spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. You know, if, if, if a woman starts saying that to a young man, the young man is toast. It's all over. He's done. Done for. Be careful what you say to young men. And uh, uh, men, these are not the type of women you want to be around. Because if it should develop, and if you should end up in a relationship with them, they will go and seek it from another young man. Because they'll be out in the streets and out in the squares and their feet won't remain at home. 
Think about what you what you look forward to. Think about what, what uh, about the future, about these relationships. Verse nineteen: For my husband is not at home; he's gone on a long journey. You think you know? We don't deal with that. We don't deal with married people around us. Oh, but you will, you will. You get into jobs and into careers, and there will be secretaries hitting on you, knowing you full well that you are married, and they'll be hitting on you. And there will be people that you are attracted to that you know are married, yet they're very open to having a relationship beyond their marriage. And you're attracted physically to them. And we have this view sometimes in our culture, well, if you're attracted physically, I mean, you know, you're grown adults, everything is okay. Not for us, not for believers. These things wage war against your soul. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. Verse 20, he's taken a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Where there are many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Look, look at the picture here. You know, ox just walk along, going up the ramp. They have no idea they're about to have their, their throats slit. That's how God describes it. Or as one in fetters is to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces his liver, verse 23. As a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. You will lose your life. I have seen men get into relationships beyond their marriage and everything has been destroyed. Everything. Their careers lost. Everything that they have lost. I have seen women who have gone outside their marriage and everything was lost. Relationship with their children, lost. These are real issues which hit real people and affect them. You mess around with these things, it will destroy your soul. I've seen it. And it hurts so much to see it. When men come to me and they tell me, how they had been unfaithful in marriage. My heart just crumbles knowing what it has just cost them. It says, verse 24, Now therefore, my son, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray to her paths. Just don't go near that area. For many are the victims she has cast down. And numerous are all her slain. For her house... For, for her house is the way of Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Her house is the way of Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. And, and uh, so when you see something like this, it's scary. Look in Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. It talks about the effects of these things. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 8. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. I mean, you think, well, we were just studying in the room alone. These things happened. Well, you shouldn't have been studying in the room alone. Sit in the library if you want to study together. Go, go sit at Starbucks. 
Or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. I've seen it. I've seen very successful people. Everything lost. Families lost. Houses lost. Because of this. The Bible tells us this will happen. Remember, this is God's word. Everything it says will happen. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 13. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. He says, these things wage war against our soul. If you struggle with pornography, I urge you. To begin to deal with these issues. There are, there are uh, uh, accountability partners that you can work with. There are ways of beginning to address this. If you carry that into your marriage, it is going to bring great objectification to your spouse. They'll feel objectified and great pain into a marriage. You want to deal with these things. And they don't automatically go away. It doesn't get solved just by marriage. In fact, a lot of times the things are exacerbated. Um, God has a way for us. If you do not know the Lord, if you do not know the Lord, some of these things sound really strange to you, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if you do not know the Lord, there is no ability to stand against these things if you do not know the Lord. And I urge you to come to know the Lord. I urge you to do that this day. We'll be having a lunch today, and and, uh, you just, just tell me. I'll be glad to tell you about the Lord. I'll be glad to do it and get some victory in your life because... Salvation is not a sham. And in that series on scriptural sexual ethics, I will give you specific ways to deal with these lusts which just seem to overcome your soul at times. I'm speaking from personal experience. I'm not speaking because, because I feel myself good and like I've overcome all these things. No, I still struggle. But I give you a way and a path of victory in that series on scriptural sexual ethics because salvation brings things in our lives that you could not normally do. Once you receive Jesus in your heart, things change, things are different, and he gives victory. These things destroy marriages, they destroy lives, they destroy careers. You go through a divorce, it'll take three or four years. Stop in your career. Your career will not grow for three or four years just dealing with it. It's just, I've seen it so many times. I've seen people all around me at work going through a divorce. It's like nothing happens in their careers. And then it just limps along after that as they try to recover from these things. But it's never the same. You give your strength to the house of an alien. Your hard-earned goods end up in the house of an alien. Your hard-earned goods end up with another. These things are warnings for us. I didn't fish this thing out. This is what was here in the Bible as we're going through it. God has warnings for us. We go from God lifting us up to God saying, now be careful. Be careful with your life because it can destroy your soul if you don't deal with these fleshly lusts. Let's pray. Lord, I thank and I praise you. I praise you for your goodness and your mercy. I pray for these young people. Father, for the things 
these fleshly lusts which become a struggle for them and wage war against their souls. Father, I pray for grace upon their lives that they would take to heart these words and they would pray the way Jesus taught them to pray. To say, Lord, keep me from temptation and deliver me from evil. Father, how we need to be kept from temptation and delivered from evil. Father, protect these young lives. Protect these young relationships. Protect these marriages, I pray. Protect them and watch over them. The grace of God surround them and be with them. Your mercy and your grace be there, I pray. Let Jesus Christ be glorified. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your mercies. And Lord, I pray for the young believers, the unbelievers here. I pray, Lord, for the unbelievers that you would save a soul today, that I would see it with my own eyes. Lord, let me see a soul get saved today so that I can rejoice with my Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. We are forever grateful to you. We shall forever be grateful to you for all you've done in our lives. And Lord, I thank you that you've not just taught us a bunch of ethereal things that's hard to relate to, but you have gotten down to where we live our lives, that you confront us on these things. Blessed be your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you challenge us in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left us alone in these things. Blessed be your name. And I offer this up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.